0: Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, Brian That's B-R-I-O-N McClanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, forgotten founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can, of course, support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. You can click on that support tab at brianmclanahan.com. You can go to LearnTrue, T R U E, LearnTrueHistory.com. All kinds of ways to support the show. If you go to McClanahan Academy, get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, just r- enroll for free. If you go to brianmclanahan.com and click on that support tab, you get a book plate. Of course, purchase one of my many books. Got a lot of those out now. Also, Click on that shop tab at brianmclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Well, let's talk about a think locally, act locally situation. Sometimes when people think locally and act locally, or you have local government or state government, it doesn't always go your way. And I think this is something that we're all aware of. Look, I mean, if nothing else, and I talked about this with COVID over the last year and a half, because that's where we are now, over a year and a half. Uh, The fact is that local government has been as bad or worse than the general government when it comes to COVID response. The Trump administration knew it had no power to do really anything when it came to COVID. Of course, you look at the eviction moratorium that came out of the Trump administration and uh, then we saw it continue out with the Biden administration. I mean, this was ridiculous. We I talked about that a couple of episodes ago, how unconstitutional that was. And the Supreme Court agrees, but Biden's continue it. Again, the problem with that is that Biden has openly admitted he violated the Constitution, which is a 100% impeachable offense. But you look at Cuomo, who has now resigned, his response to the pandemic, which was to put old people in retirement homes so that they were around the virus and of course could contract it more easily. And many of them unfortunately uh, died. You look at the response in local communities, even when there's questions about if this thing works or if that thing works, and they're just going back to the same old playbook on what they can do. The real threat to Liberty in the last year and a half has been local government and state government, not necessarily the general government. It's been powerless on these things. So, And this is really where federalism comes to people's attention because, in reality, the state governments always have the power. And if you're going to be someone who is interested in the preservation of liberty, you should be interested in also being active within your state governments, being active within your local governments, so that you can try to fend these things off. And maybe, of course, have a state and local government that reflects your political culture as well. Because we've also seen, on the flip side of that, We've got states where they've remained relatively open for the last 18 months. Hasn't been a whole lot of change to people's everyday lives. There are some things you have to do. Maybe you have to wear a mask or there's some mandates and some other things you got to go along with at times. But generally, life has been pretty much normal. And I think that's also a reflection of federalism. So there's a glass half empty and a glass half full way to look at this. If you've been in a blue state, your life has been pretty miserable been a red state, it probably hasn't been that bad over the last 18 months. And this is why people are getting out of the blue states as fast as they can. But this issue is not about COVID or uh, mandates or vaccines or anything else. It's simply about education. I am I am actually on you know the I'm on COVID burnout, right? I mean every issue, everything goes back to COVID. And some other stuff stays in the news for just a minute, and then COVID's back. And so I'd like to talk about some things that aren't related to that most of the time because life is going on, and other things are still happening, and those other things need to be addressed. So there's a news article out uh, came out a couple of days ago about Oregon. If you haven't seen this, the governor of Oregon signed a bill into law, and I'm going to read a little article about that, and then I'm going to talk about education, signed a bill into law, that essentially stripped any ability for high schools to test for proficiency in the three R's. Of course, it's not really three R's, but reading, writing, and arithmetic. The last one's not really an R. But it's there. there's no testing on that anymore. There's no proficiency in that. We don't know now, after this bill is signed into law, if you live in Oregon, if you can read or if you can write. Or if you can do basic math, that's unknown. And, of course, this is all done under the banner of social justice because apparently, or at least it's thought, that testing, standardized testing in particular is problematic for minority groups. Of course, what's never listed in that is if Asian Asian Americans are considered minority groups, they score higher than anybody else. They do just fine. So this is seen as a problem for some groups, and so to get rid of the problem, you just get rid of the testing. I mean, it's an absolutely idiotic way to address the situation. And I'm going to read the article about it, but this is this is the point. So let me get into this. It said, Governor Kate Brown, I'm sorry, an Oregon high school diploma does not guarantee that students who earn it can read, write, or do math at a high school level. Governor Kate Brown dropped the requirement that students demonstrate they have achieved those essential skills by signing Senate Bill 744 into law. She declined again Friday to comment on why she supported suspending the proficiency requirements, reported Oregon Live. The bill was not entered into the legislative database until July 29th. The department from the standard practice of updating the public database the same day a bill is signed. A departure, I'm sorry. Charles Boyle, the governor's deputy communications director, said the governor's staff told legislative staff the same day the governor signed the bill. So it wasn't. They hid it. They didn't put The same day she signed it, usually Oregon puts it into the database, but they didn't do it. They hit it. Why? Well, because they knew the backlash was going to be tremendous over this. Boyle said in an emailed statement that suspending the reading, writing, and math proficiency requirements will benefit Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. Well, how so? How does it actually benefit them? How does it actually benefit them? This is the question that you have to ask what's the tangible benefit? They don't they don't have to take a test now. Does that mean that they're going to be better students? Does it mean that they're going to have better success? Does it mean anything? No, it just means that they're not taking the test. And so there's no measurable way to figure out if these students, any students, are proficient in these things. It doesn't matter who you are. We can no longer tell if the students coming out of Oregon are proficient in these basic things. So, in reality, what colleges and universities around the United States to do is say, we're no longer going to take students from Oregon because we can't tell if you're going to be proficient. I mean, what does a grade mean? It doesn't mean anything. We all know there's grade inflation. So, just because you made an A or a B or a C doesn't mean anything anymore. We don't know if you can actually do these things because there's no standardized testing. There's no proficiency tests. Now, of course, they could take the SAT or the ACT, and so that would be a way to measure it. But if, But high school standardization coming out of high school and knowing that you're proficient in these things is not a bad way to do it. So, I mean, this is the other side of that. Well, I mean, some high schools have dropped these things anyways. I know other states have done this too, but I'm going to get into education and what it's for in a minute. He added, leaders from those communities have advocated time and time again for equitable graduation standards, along with expanded learning opportunities and support. What does equitable graduation standards mean? See, this is the key now. Equitable, the term equity. It's not no longer equal. It's its its no longer equal. It's equity. Equity, which means you have to level it to a way that would essentially drop the standards instead of raising the standards or raising people up to standards. You drop the standards to meet them where they are, which is not what you're supposed to do. But this is what happens when you get this word equity. You end up lowering things instead of raising people up to those things. Lawmakers did not pass any significant expansion of learning opportunities or support for black, indigenous, and students of color during the 2021 legislative session. Democrats in the legislature overwhelmingly supported ending the long-time proficiency requirement, while Republicans criticized it for lowering academic standards. A couple of lawmakers crossed the party lines on the votes. Well, this is exactly I mean. The Republicans are right on this. This is exactly what's happening here. They're just getting rid of it because people couldn't reach the standards. So just get rid of the standards. And hey, everybody's great. Now we're all equal again. No standards. Proponents said the state needed to pause Oregon's high school graduation requirements since 2009, but... Suspended during the pandemic until the class of 2024, graduates for leaders to re-examine its graduation requirements. On, that was a bad sentence there. Recommendations for new standards are due by September 2022. Origin, Oregon education officials have long insisted they would not impose new graduation requirements on students who have already begun high school. New requirements not take effect until the class of 2027. That means at least five more classes could graduate without demonstrating proficiency in math and writing. Much of the criticism of the graduation requirements was targeted at standardized tests. Oregon, unlike many other states, did not require students to pass a particular standardized test or any test at all. Students could demonstrate their ability via five different tests or complete an in-depth classroom project judged by their own teachers. No notification went out regarding the governor's signing of the graduation bill. All right, so they already didn't have standardized tests. So what is all the, the hoopla about anyways? But the real question comes down to this. What is education for? One of the beautiful things about Western civilization is the growth in education. It has been the reason why the Western world has excelled over all other societies and civilizations in the history of the world because of the drive for excellence. It started with the Greeks in many ways, uh, Athens as the school of the Hellas, but also as all these other societies, Romans, and then into Western Europe, and of course even Eastern Europe, you had this push for excellence. It didn't mean everyone achieved that. In fact, throughout much of Western civilization, it was the exceptional that was celebrated because it was exceptional. The Athenians relished the fact that they had so many brilliant people, they were so good at so many things, and they looked down their nose at everybody else because you just didn't have it. And that was okay. And this could be said for just about anything else. We we wanted elitism. The founding generation called it a natural aristocracy. Of course, as you get an artificial aristocracy and thrown into this, and then you start seeing some problems with that. I mean, the reason we had, you know, Charles the Hext as king of Spain, for example, is because he was born into it. The man could barely even speak. That speaks to the problem of an artificial aristocracy, but a natural aristocracy. Those who are naturally talented and excel, this is something that in the Western world we've always, always championed. Now, of course, there's been hiccups in this. There's been times that people have been relegated to different places because it was just assumed they couldn't do something. So we've gotten around, we've gotten beyond that in the Western world. We want the best of the best. It's why we celebrate professional athletes, no matter who they are. We want the best of the best on the field. We want the best of the best in our rocket laboratories. We want the best of the best in our medical professions. If you're having open-heart surgery, you're going to go to the best heart doctor in the country if you can. These are the things you want to do. And In order to do that, you have to have a rigorous and challenging education system. But it's not just about that. One of the things that education, if you go back and look at the Renaissance and the expansion of education during the Renaissance and the move for a liberal arts education, it was to create better citizens. And the way to do that was to get involved in teaching some of the soft subjects like poetry and history. And so in the Western world, we've excelled at certain things, teaching science and mathematics, the hard sciences. But we've also excelled at teaching things like philosophy and poetry and history. Not necessarily history all the time, because we don't really understand that history is always biased. That's the real problem with it all. But we've done a good job at teaching people the fundamentals and then having people move on and do great things. This is without question. It is one of the great benefits of the Western world. Always advancing. And we want the best people to do that. Well, if you start playing games with that and you start saying groups can't do this or can't do that, well, I mean, what are you doing at that point? you're undermining that particular search for excellence. And so you're saying to certain groups as well, "Well, we don't think that you can do these things, so we're just going to drop it. What does that say to the people in those groups that could excel, they could achieve those things, but there's no confidence in the leadership of Oregon that you can do these things. We've got leaders in these groups, oh, we can't do it. It's victimhood. And it's equity, and that's the real issue here. It is a drive for mediocrity. America, in its education, has become, in so many ways, a society that drives for mediocrity. We have celebrations for athletes, signing day, all these baseball players, football players, across the board. We're going to have these big tables set up. Where are the tables for the people that are the nerds that go out and are making uh, you know, straight A's and they've gotten perfect scores on their ACT's or SAT's and they're going on to these great institutions. We don't celebrate that stuff as much. If this was Athens, they would. They would celebrate the athletes and they would also celebrate the great intellectuals. And That's something that we're missing in society. Why? Because education has become simply a means to an end. For most people, it's training, which you don't really need. And so, because of that, it's a diploma it's a piece of paper and then you go and try to figure out your way in this anyways so the question is what is the purpose of education and I want to go to an essay that Richard Weaver wrote and let's see when did you write this 1956 Richard Weaver wrote an essay for National Review in 1956 entitled education for what what is education for And I found this essay to be fascinating because he raises some questions. Now, this is very much in line with theology, but he raises some really important questions about the purpose of education in modern Western society. He says this, If educators really want to know why they have fallen so low in public esteem, they need only to wake up to the fact that they have abandoned concern with the very things of which educators are traditionally the custodians and expositors. They have abandoned the things. And what are those things? There are teachings concerning the nature of reality, the validity of knowledge, the meaning of goodness, and the origin and final end of man. What it is to be, and why we live in this fallen world, and how do we accept that, and how do we uh, view it? What is the nature of knowledge? What is the purpose of knowledge? To improve ourselves, to improve our families, to improve our society. That's the purpose of knowledge. And if we get stuck and never want to go, never first of all, never admit we're wrong, which uh, people have a problem doing, particularly, it seems nowadays, in the scientific community, quote-unquote scientific community, But others as well never admit they're wrong or that they don't grow and and realize things are different in different ways. Well, that becomes problematic. But the search for knowledge, the actual search for knowledge itself, is lost in education that teaches skills. And I think that's where people lose education. Why do we study history? Well, Those on the left think we study history so we can use it as a weapon for the present. It's Orwellian in that way. But in reality, we study history for knowledge, to understand, to understand the past, to understand we are still continuous with those people. Whether we like it or not, they're still part of us. We're just generations removed. Their blood still runs in our veins. That's something that we don't always want to accept or understand. But it does, or maybe we do accept and understand it. We want that, right? I mean, it depends on, on who we're talking about. But certainly, it's to understand. And if we understand, and we have an understanding for who these people are and the times that they were, and, and understand that our time is different than theirs, we can still celebrate and love them, even if we don't disagree, even if we disagree with them. And this is this is the key to understanding history. But it's that quest for knowledge, as he says, the nature of reality. The validity of knowledge. He says, This is essentially what professors Redden and Ryan show in A Catholic Philosophy of Education. The book is a systemic comparison of Catholic belief and practice with all of the chief modern theories, and particularly with those stemming from the school of John Dewey. Catholic education proves its seriousness by asking at the outset, What is man? And this is a big question. What is man? But also, if you look at history, what is history? I mean, most of the people that listen to this show are interested in history. So what is history? Well, it's the remembered past. Well, how do we remember the past? I mean, now you have this whole school of memory studies. Well, that's just history. We're studying how people view things and interpret things and understand things over time. Memory studies is simply history. It's so, what's well, it's always been. Or you could say it's historiography. I mean, that's another way to look at it. But this, this whole pseudo-profession of memory studies is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, when 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 this started becoming popular, I thought to myself, why in the heck are we talking about memory studies? That's history. That's historiography. How we remember the past is historiography. How people have remembered the past is historiography. How they've written it down. How they've studied it. How they've viewed it. How they've interpreted it. They're not I mean, you can say there's not right or wrong. It's how they understand it. The answer given is that man is a body and a soul. Consequently, education has, as one of its controlling considerations, man's supernatural destiny. It cannot be exclusively for the object, objective of adjustment to the environment, neither should it be exclusively for success. Failure is just as truly a part of reality as success and a complete education equips one to survive that. Think about that. What did you just say there? So what's going on in Oregon? People were failing. So we're going to get rid of the possibility for them to fail. Well, that means they're not going to learn anything. You have to you learn from failures. You learn from doing things the wrong way, how to do them the right way. That's how you engage and how you and how you expand and how you grow. So Education is as much about failure as it is about achievement. But see, in Oregon, they just cut out the failure. They've only given you achievement in many ways. It doesn't mean that's how it's always going to operate. But that's the critique. Meantime, that prize of all modern Kant phrases, education for democratic living, receives its due deflation. It takes no little courage today to point out, as do the authors, that democracy is only one form of government ...that the natural world takes, or the natural society takes. That modern progressive education is an apostasy... ...apostasy, not only from all faith, but from all learning. is apparent to anyone who takes the trouble to examine its premises. Man, in continuous with nature, and nature in eternally changing... ...toward what? Nobody can say, because the universe is regarded as self-existing. And since man is only an atom in this vast flux, free will is not only intellectually untenable but also practically undesirable. The upshot is a picture in which there are no eternal moral values or moral standards, no conduct, intrinsically good or bad, no moral responsibility, there are no good men or bad men, no heroes, no honest men, no scoundrels, there are only cases, neurotic or badly conditioned. Think about what he just said there. If you follow this process by which modern education exists, I mean, he's he's right. Now, I would say that modern education has simply decided everything's going to be cynical and they're all only bad men unless they were communists, unless they had modern-day socially acceptable views. Those are the only good men. Everyone else is a bad man. Well, having dug himself into a hole that deep, how is man ever going to get out? More than 30 years ago, Irving Babbitt wrote, under certain conditions that are already partly in sight, the Catholic Church may perhaps be the only institution left in the Occident that can be counted on to uphold civilized standards. That is certainly the feeling one gets from reading this comparison of a Catholic philosophy of education with the nihilism of Dewey and his students. So, I mean, I think in looking, it's a very short essay by Weaver, but I think in looking at that, we have to ask these questions as we go through our lives. What is the nature of education? What is the nature of history? What are we trying to achieve with education? It's when you when you get rid of standards, when you lose the prospect of failure, which is essentially what modern educators are trying to do, everyone achieves, everyone gets a good grade. Every, I mean, they don't say that, but that's really what they're looking for. They want everyone to pass. Everyone passes, everyone achieves, everyone goes on. It's equitable reach the lowest common denominator, not make people achieve, not, not bring people to the top, because some people aren't going to make it there. And that is the thing. Some people are going to fail. What our system has done is decided that everyone goes to college, everyone gets a college education, but when you do that, you have to make it to a point where everyone can't really do it because we know that if you, if you really do, and most people believe this, there are people smarter than others, people more athletically talented than others, people prettier than others, whatever it is. We know there are natural inequalities. If we do that, and it's not its not because of group dynamics or anything else, it's just people. If we do that, if we firmly believe that, then all this equity in education would just be kind of silly. I remember I was at a conference years ago, and I'll leave with this, and there were two of us. It was uh, talking about the tabula rasa, right? Or at least the question was posed to a whole group. There were about, I don't know, 100 teachers here, college teachers. And it was asked, can everyone... Can everyone achieve, uh, I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but is everyone essentially equal in education? Two of us stood on one side and like a hundred people stood on the other side. Because I've always firmly believed that yes, there are people that everyone has a talent somewhere and you got to find that, but it may not be in education, and traditional education. It might be in something else. And as a society, we should be trying to maximize those talents, the people that they have, and not forcing a round peg into a square hole at times, or whatever the case may be. We need, or square peg into a round hole, whatever it is, we need to understand that people have natural talents and try to capitalize on those talents. Jefferson, of course, was interested in getting everyone a rudimentary education, and that was great. But then he also, people miss this about Jefferson the elite would move on. But everyone else would simply have, they'd be able to write, they'd be able to read, and they'd be able to do basic math. And that's really all they needed. And if you think about most in society, that's what most people do. They have basic math, they can read, they can write. Most people can't do much else when it comes to advanced thought. So you still have the elites moving on. But we still should be able to see if they these people have achieved that. If they haven't, Well, I mean, then there's the failure aspect, which is what Weaver brings up. So I find it interesting that Oregon has dropped this in the name of social justice, essentially, is what happened. And they were afraid to do it, which is why they didn't publish the bill being signed. They knew there was going to be tremendous backlash over this. They knew that it was probably a stupid idea, but it's something they were willing to do anyways. And it's basically bowing to the special interest groups on the left who say that, well, Essentially, they're saying, we can't achieve these things, so just get rid of the standard, and then everyone achieves it. That's graduation equity, which is a way of saying that uh, we don't really want to have any standards whatsoever. We just want everybody to graduate. Everybody gets a trophy. It's Participation Trophy 101. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McLean Hand Show. I'll see you next time on the next one. See you then.